Morning, folks. Uh, welcome, especially to our visitors today. Um, if you don't, if you haven't met me before, I'm Samuel. I'm one of the elders here at Eastgate. We're going to look at uh, grace alone this morning, continuing on our series from the last few weeks. So let's just pray to start off with. Heavenly Father, we come to you now to hear from you in your word, and we pray, Lord, that you would be at work in us by your spirit. We pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would bring glory to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a story about a fellow called John. This this is a real, true story. Uh, John was born in 1963 in Kentucky in the States, and uh, he's a pretty average guy. He moved around a fair bit with his family as a kid. Uh, Eventually his parents broke up. He was from a broken home. Um, As a uh, eventually they settled in, in Florida and he took up guitar and he wanted to become a rock musician. Uh, and, you know, he started to play with various bands and, you know, get in with some odd kind of people, started to become a, a drug user. And during the day he would work odd jobs to support himself and at night he would play music. But then something unexpected happened. He, he moved with, his, with one of his bands to Los Angeles to try and score a record deal. And one day he was hanging out with one of his mates, Jackie. And Jackie had an audition for a movie that day. So Jackie and, and Johnny went off to this audition. Johnny just tagged along with his mate. And Jackie did read for his part, but they actually got Johnny to read for the part as well. And surprisingly, Johnny got the part. The guy who just tagged along for the day got the part. And this was Johnny's first movie, uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street. And from there, uh, John Johnny would go on to star in, in other movies. Uh, he would become a star in the TV show 21 Jump Street. And then he starred in Edward Scissorhands. And um, you know him today as Johnny Depp. He is that famous face that you see everywhere over all kinds of movies. He's got that iconic face. But he started out as a bloke who went tagged along to an audition. He was uh, heading in a different direction in life. He was heading down his... He wanted to become a rock musician and that's what he thought was best for him and that's the, the, the direction that he's pursuing. But one day in a moment, his life was changed when he was chosen for a part in a movie. Now, I tell you this story because it reminds me of the topic that we're covering today. We're talking about how in a moment of time, lives can be turned around and put in a completely different direction by the choice of another. We're talking about something that can dramatically alter everything about our lives. We're talking about something that comes from outside of us and lifts us up out of our darkness. Today, we're looking at grace alone. This is that external gift from God that comes through Jesus and lifts lifts us from sin and death and puts us in a position way greater than the stardom uh, that that Johnny uh, received. God's grace seats us in the heavenly places with God. Something amazing and great and high. See, grace alone is the fourth topic that we've looked at in this series. 
We've been looking at the battle cries of the Reformation 500 years ago. We've touched on the way that that in his time, the gospel was marginalized and hidden by the trappings of the church. But as we've looked at each topic, as we've gone through these past weeks, we've seen that We've seen that the problems of Luther's day are just as prevalent to us today. However, we don't just look at the bad guy over there and say, they've got the gospel wrong. We find that amongst our our churches everywhere across the world and amongst ourselves, we find that we have a tendency to, to, to skew the gospel. We've talked about the fact that we need continual reforming to be brought into line with God's word because naturally we kind of go off and we kind of make a gospel in our own image. So for today and many days to come, we need to be reminded again and again that our salvation comes through grace alone. We don't contribute anything to our redemption. We don't do anything to deserve it. We don't do anything to keep it. But there's also some hard questions that we have to deal with along the way as we think about grace alone today. There's going to be some uncomfortable and heavy moments, and you know I'm not looking forward to them. But they are they are they are things that will come up as we discuss grace alone. And there's going to be some hard teachings that perplex us about God's grace. But we're going to step through these four things. We're going to step through four things that Ephesians chapter two has to tell us about grace, about God's grace. So firstly, we've got death before grace. Death precedes grace. Without grace, we're dead. Not just wayward or blind, dead. You see, the natural condition of humankind is spiritual deadness. We inherit this from our parents and and they inherited it from their parents before them and them before them. When we're born, we receive physical life from our parents, but unfortunately they don't pass on spiritual life. Instead, we need a kind of a second birth that that revives us spiritually. And when Paul wrote to the Ephesians to instruct them, he laid out the life before grace in vivid detail. Let's just look at the first three verses from Ephesians 2. It says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you were once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Before people are rescued by God, they're dead. Dead men walking. Sin brings death, and all are sinners. So in a pre-grace world, we follow the course of our natural inclinations. We sin. And we follow after that great sinner, Satan, the prince of the power of the air. Not only do we do it naturally, but we're confined to it. We're bound to it. We're slaves to it. If you sin, you're a slave to sin. And I don't know if you know, but slaves don't free themselves. That's the nature of slavery. So to be rescued from death and slavery, we need somebody to save us. We need an external force to come into our deadness and make us alive. We need to be born again. We need to be raised from dead. We need to be unshackled. Jesus Jesus noted that unless you're born again, you can't even see the kingdom of God. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
We need spiritual rebirth. And do you notice with with these metaphors of, of the life before grace, of death and slavery and the need for a spiritual rebirth, these are all things that you don't have power over. Nobody, nobody has power over raising themselves from the dead. Nobody can birth themselves. The slave can't unshackle his own chains. And I know if you've hung around Eastgate for long enough, you've heard these kinds of things before about our radical corruption, our total depravity, our fallen humanity. But I just want to ask, do, do you believe it? Do, do you know it? Not just know it about it, but do you know it inside? If, you, if you're like me, I've grown up with Disney movies and that characteristic Disney perspective that we all have something great within ourselves if we would just let it out. If we just open our hearts or if we just realise our potential, then we would be able to overcome any obstacle in our path. Are you a product of this indoctrination like me? Do you have a disnified faith where you think the power lies within you to reach up to God and to bring salvation down to yourself? Or do you have a Christian faith? Do you recognise your inability? Do you echo Paul's sentiment when he says, yes, before grace we were children of wrath. Before grace we were dead. Before grace we were enslaved. Before grace we were servants of Satan. And I need you to hear this because otherwise we won't understand the magnitude of what grace is. Without understanding the depth of the problem, we don't understand the depths that Christ went to to pull us out of death. We need to know that we are utterly dead so that we can understand that we've been saved by grace alone. Grace is life and ampersand love, apparently. Um, grace is life and love. Now, if we, if we accept our need for grace, then we're ready to proceed. Uh, it's like the man who's received the diagnosis of his terminal illness, and now he's ready to look for a treatment. If we ignore the diagnosis, we don't change the reality. We just have a few more moments of bliss before the inevitable happens. But if we accept the diagnosis that we are on our we are, we are on our way to death, slash already dead, then we're ready to look for a treatment for our condition. And thankfully in our passage today, Paul gives us the treatment. He lays out what God does for dead people who he wants to save. He does the impossible. He, he makes the dead not dead. And that might not seem crazy to our modern ears because... You know, we're used to comic books and TV shows where characters miraculously come back from the dead, um, you know, for the, the sixth season. Um, we, you know, we're used to uh, video games where death doesn't mean death, it just means have another go. We're used to hearing surprising stories about how, you know, Uncle Jim was dead on the operating table for ten minutes before he was revived by a surgeon. But that's not kind of deadness that we're talking about. When, when I say God makes the dead alive, don't think cardiopulmonary arrest or, 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 or games or stories. Think a skeleton lying on the ground, dry, dead bones. Now, with that picture in mind, let's turn to what Paul says next in Ephesians. He says, 
But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. God, because of his love and by his grace, God God takes the spiritually dead and he revives them. He makes us spiritually alive with Christ and not just made alive, but actually raised to positions of honor and and, and glory and joy. Why? So God can reveal his kindness and grace to his own glory. God's love is expressed to his people through this grace by making them alive. And this is how we receive salvation. Through this regeneration of our dead souls. He unshackles our chains of sin. He releases us from the oppression of Satan. God, through his spirit, causes us to be born again so that we might see and receive the the kingdom of God. Grace alone revives our dead hearts. Grace alone is the way that we receive the love of God that he has for his own people. Grace alone is how we're saved. But hang on a sec. I thought we were saved by faith. I thought we were saved by faith in Jesus. Isn't isn't that how you become a Christian? You, You believe in Jesus? How can I say that we are saved by grace when we clearly we are saved by faith? Going further, the question ultimately ends up being something like, why do I bother evangelizing if, if it's God's grace that does all the saving work? So let me show you a couple of diagrams to help us think this through. We need to consider both the way that we experience salvation and the way that God works our salvation. Usually when you first become a Christian, you're not thinking about the mechanics of salvation. You, you usually get to a point where we recognize that we need God's gracious salvation and we, and we need to access it through faith. And so we do what the Bible says and we put our hope, our faith, our trust, our belief on Jesus. You know, that, that classic verse, whosoever believes in him will not perish but eter- receive eternal life. It's simple. I don't want to talk about faith too much because Steve's going to talk about faith a lot more next week. But but faith is clearly what the Bible says is the entry point to the kingdom of God. We understand that God is gracious to us by receiving us and granting us our salvation, but it's not until we look a little deeper that we realize that God's grace has actually already been applied to us by the time that we are believing in faith. By the time we call out for God's mercy and grace... He's already been working in us by his grace to bring about our faith. His grace has been at work in us, reviving our spiritually dead souls to receive spiritual life. It wasn't our inner drive or choice that turned our hearts towards God. Rather, he's already made our souls alive and he reveals himself to us in all his glory and splendor. And everything else pales in comparison when we see Christ. And so we turn to God as willing recipients of the salvation life that he has for us because of what he has already done in us. So in the case of when it comes to evangelism, we share his message with all who will listen, knowing that in some people God will already be at work by his grace so that they can respond in faith. 
God is already working in people, preparing them to receive the message and respond because of his grace. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm worried that we don't take this seriously enough. I mean, it's, I've been thinking about how to say this, but I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna come out and say it so you can, but I hope you hear the heart behind what I'm saying. It, it worries me because I don't think we've seen uh, many conversions in our church. At least not recently. And like, if we're looking for any, anybody to blame, you can blame me first because I don't take it seriously. But God tells us that the fields are ripe for salvation harvest. So I can only assume that we're not going out to receive the harvest. And I'm weak and I'm I'm wasteful of gospel opportunity to go out and to see God's kingdom grow. But if we really truly believe that God is at work in people's hearts, then we go out, we go out. We should be unafraid to go out on mission in his name because we expect God to be at work. Now, we don't know who will respond to the good news. We don't know who, who God is already working in by his grace. So we go out and we proclaim to everyone the good news, knowing that all who are appointed to eternal life will believe. We receive spiritual life. And we experience God's love through grace alone. Next we see that grace is a gift. Now, as I've already been explaining, grace comes to us as an act of love. It's an outward gift applied to us. And uh, we see that in, that, in that, those, those, those classic verses from Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so no one may boast. Unlike Santa, who uh, supposedly gives good presents to good children and coal to bad children, God's gift of grace is given without prerequisite. There's, there's nothing you can do to earn the rise of God's grace. Especially because, as we've already seen, we're spiritually dead. We can't even begin to please God, let alone earn something from him. God gives his gift to whomever he wills. And and God's gift can seem indiscriminate sometimes. It's not, but sometimes it feels that way. You know, it's like sometimes, you know, when people win the lotto, people who don't seem to deserve it seem to win big and squander it. And others who look like they deserve it or need it miss out. But it's not ours to know the mind of God. Only what he's told us in his word. He's not told us why he bestows his mercy on this person and not on this person, other than to say that it's his prerogative. And I want you to make sure that you hear this uh, from the Word of God because this is, this is that hard, hard teaching. So I'm going to read it to you straight out of the Bible. And I want you to brace yourself. It's not fun, but, but this, is the, this is where grace alone ultimately leads. If, if, if it's God's grace alone, then we ultimately ask the questions, why me and not my brother? 
Why grace for this, this person and not this person? Why, why grace for the murderer and not for his victims? Why grace for the, for the thief and not those whom he's stolen from? So we turn to Romans 9, where God, where Paul lays out and he tells us, he, sh- he walks us through these questions. He says, When Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, The older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. What shall we say then? Is, is there injustice on, on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. You will say to me then, why then does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of one lump one vessel for honourable use and, and another for dishonourable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he's called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles? It's hard-hitting stuff. Straight out of scripture. You know, I have no desire to be part of some special club of people who receive God's mercy. There are, there are so many people, if it were up to me, would get a bucket load of God's grace. But that's the thing, it, it's, it's not up to me. And it's not up to you. Grace is something that God gives. He hands out his mercy and his kindness as he wills. And he doesn't tell me why he gives it to some and not to others except to say that it's part of his plan for his exultant glory. Like like the director that we heard about, handing out parts for a movie, he gives it to some and not to others. And while we sit here and say, hey, Jackie was the one who actually went in for that part. It was his audition. The director says, no, I want Johnny to play this part. And in the case of a movie director, he knows what's best for his own movie. But in the case of God, he knows what's best for his own plans for creation and redemption. And knowing this, we don't walk away and say, hey, look at how good I am. I got the love of God. Rather, we walk away and we say, why on earth would God love me? We don't deserve any of his mercy. Sometimes I think we forget this. I was thinking, trying to think of an illustration and I thought, it's like being given a house. Imagine being given your dream house. 
imagine you've got everything you wanted. You want to get those extra rooms that you wanted, you know, the particular style, the good location, all the bells and whistles. And initially, you're overcome by the magnitude of this gift. Who gives away such a great house? For days and weeks, you you live in your house with a sense of disbelief. You're expecting somebody to come through the door and kick you out and say, it's too good to be true. You treasure it. You look after it with great care. You want the gift giver to know that you appreciate the gift that you've received. But then as days turn into weeks and, and weeks to months and months to years, the scope of the generosity seems to get lost on us. We take it for granted. We're not so invested in the house anymore. It's just normal and and, and we start to look around at other folks and we go, well, why don't they have a house? Why didn't the gift giver give it to them? Or, or, or worse, we look around and we say, it's not that hard, go and get a house for yourself. Over time, we lose sight of the nature of grace and love. We, we lose sight of the magnitude of what, what God has given us. We lose sight of the external nature of the gift that we didn't earn or have any control over receiving. Instead of being caught up in a sense of entitlement or feeling some inequality about what we have received, we ought to humbly turn to God and say, I don't deserve this gift. I don't know why you put your love on us as a wretched people. I don't know your mind, Lord, but I know that your ways are are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And your grace transcends my understanding. What grace and and kindness and generosity that God would bestow such a gift as this on us. He gave us Christ. He gave us himself. He gave the Richard ones holiness. God sent his own son to die for us, to redeem us for himself. He sent Christ into the world to walk the earth as a man who lived that perfect righteous life. He went to the cross and he died in our place, becoming the sacrifice, the atoning sacrifice, the propitiating sacrifice. The one who covers our sins and gives us eternal life. And it was Christ's work. And it's the work of, it's work of God through the Spirit to apply it to us. It's not from anything we have done. We can't boast about it. We did nothing. We are dead. Yet God gave us a generous gift that we might be saved through grace alone. Lastly, we see that grace leads to good works. Grace might be a gift. It's free from any hint of working for it. But it's not free from good works. Don't let anybody ever convince you that that the Reformation idea of salvation nullifies good works. It's important to note that good works must be seen in their proper place. And as we see that in these Ephesians passage, after going on about grace, Paul then turns to remind folks that our new creation, our regeneration, our, our, our new birth leads to good works. In that verse, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God's grace leads to good works. God has always intended that his people should walk in holiness and pour out their lives in doing good for one another and outsiders. It's part of his plan. 
It's part of his plan. He prepared it beforehand. It wasn't tacked on at the end. God's good works was our God's plan for us. God has put things in place already for us as believers to dive headfirst into. And, and, and as Reformation Christians, we like to harp on about the gospel. But sometimes we forget the outcomes of the gospel. Namely, that the love of God poured into us must spill out to those around us in good works. We can't use grace as an excuse to avoid good works and say, oh, I don't want to earn my salvation. Rather, grace drives us to, to dive in headfirst for God. We get to, he gives us spiritual gifts for us to use for his sake, for the sake of each other. We must value good works remembering that they arise out of grace. Good works are necessary for the Christian, just not necessary for our salvation. Without grace, our good works are just filthy nappies. But grace alone will put us in a place where we can give our good works to God. Let's just recap briefly where we've gone this morning. We've talked about the fact that death comes before grace. That before God's grace, we're spiritually dead. We're destitute. We are useless. We're in rebellion against God. We're following after Satan. But then grace enters into our life and revives us, lifts us up, gives us new life. It's God's love shown to us in the way that he regenerates us and puts us uh, in Christ. Grace is a gift. It's not something that we've earned. And while it can be difficult to understand why the gift is given to some and not others, it's part of God's plan in the world. We can't know his mind, yet we can humbly and graciously receive the gift knowing that we don't deserve it. No one should get the gift, least of all us. But the gift is poured out into our lives and the, and the gift of grace leads us to good works. Its outflow is good works. Good works are not disassociated. They're not some kind of extra thing that we do off to the side sometimes when we're feeling in a good mood. Good works is the outcome. We have our spiritual fruit that flows out of the Spirit's work in our life. So what are we to do with this going out from here this morning? What's, what's, what am I hoping that, that you do next? In some respects, I'm hoping that you will just rest in, just take comfort in the fact that God is at work by his grace and that it's God who does this work. It's not up to us to kind of reach up to, to attain uh, salvation, but rather it's, it's handed to you on a platter. God's gift is given to us. So just receive the gift and say thank you. I want you to take comfort that Christ comes and redeems you out of the mess that you're in. But I also want us to go out from here knowing that we we go out into good works. We go out into a holy life. We go out into doing righteous deeds and to bearing the fruit of the Spirit. Like like John and Depp, we, we we had our plans for life. But then somebody steps in and turns us around and puts us on a completely different path. The choice of another makes makes all the difference. We didn't do anything to call down God's grace, nor do we contribute anything to make our salvation happen. It's a free gift of God. 
God's grace alone works in us to redeem us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you. We thank you for the gift of grace that you pour out. Lord, we recognize that we don't deserve it, that it ought not be given to us, but, but that you have bestowed on your people your good gift of grace. Please, Lord, make us humble recipients. We pray, Lord, for those among us who have yet to, to respond in faith to the grace uh, that you are pouring out. We pray, Lord, that you would work in their lives and, and, and bring them to yourself today, we pray. We pray, Lord, that you would convict us of our need for grace, where we have become prideful and arrogant about, about our spiritual life. We pray, Lord, that you would convict us of the absolute way that it is from outside us as a free gift. We pray, Lord, that the knowledge of your good grace given to us would lead us out into the world as people who, who go out to do good works, the works that you have prepared for us. Help us, Lord, to love one another, to serve one another, to live holy lives, and to, uh, to love and serve those outside as well. Heavenly Father, we pray all these things through Jesus Christ. Amen.